This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Uh, it's been a bit of a bad week, Lorraine, because there's been a very, very bad smell in the kitchen. I think something may have crawled behind the dishwasher and died. Oh, no. Not Margot. No. But what I would say, though, is Margot probably hasn't been doing her job properly because oh, if it no. was a little rodent type thing. Is it a small field mouse that's come in? Well, I don't know. It's a big smell, whatever it is, however small it is, it's a very bad smell. We were supposed to be having people around for dinner and I, I think I might have to cancel because <laughs> it's too embarrassing. And I'm fearful of you because you have a highly sensitive <gasps> little exactly. nose and all smells affect you. Any oh room we God. go into, I have to say to people, does it smell okay? Because Trish gets really upset about smells. <laughs> It's a dead mouse. It must be tipping you over the edge. It's not been good. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife. I'm Lorraine Candy. And I'm Trish Halpin. If you're living in a hormonal hothouse, feeling a bit overwhelmed and in need of some positive, uplifting and comforting guidance on how to lead a more magnificent midlife, then this is the show for you. We chat to celebrities and experts on all things midlife, from menopause and perimenopause to parenting teens, via fashion, beauty, wellness, nutrition, fitness, careers, relationships, caring for elderly relatives and your finances. Yes, we ask experts and famous guests all the questions you need answered to have a happier, healthier and more harmonious second act. I thought I would start today's episode a bit differently because I want to pay you a compliment, Lorraine. Is it the 1st of April, Trish? No, we're still in February, aren't we? I hope it's going to be a sincere compliment, mm. Trish, not a fake one. You blowing smoke up my gravity-challenged butt. Yeah. <laughs> well, of course it is. Look, my hand is on my heart as I tell you that I I took some of your advice. I watched the Pamela Anderson documentary on Netflix, which you recommended in our Culture Club episode a few weeks ago. I absolutely loved it. And she is now my favourite celebrity. So you were right. You were right. Thank you. Because I thought we'd never get past that Banshees of Inishirin, which you recommended. And then you got really cross with me about when I told you how much I liked it. Why did you like Love, Pamela on Netflix? I mean, there are so many reasons and I have so much to say about this documentary. Well, she's just had such a remarkable life. And I think what's funny about it is that we've witnessed it all, right? We were there, you know, you've kind of just seen her so much as, as we're going through our 20s, 30s, 40s and 50s. But I don't think any of us appreciated the significance of everything that she's been through. You know, the sex tape that ended her career, the childhood abuse. And just being the butt of endless, endless yeah. boob jokes. I mean, honestly, every talk show and so much heartbreak, but she's so funny and likable. 
She's obviously a brilliant mum to her two sons and she dyes her hair herself, goes to the chemist and buys a little packet yeah. of hair dye, doesn't she, and just gets on with it. So much to admire. So lovely. She's having a real moment. She's 55 now. We're all hoping that she's in the next uh, series of White Lotus as Jennifer Coolidge's oh sister. Goodness, <laughs> she's the same age as you and a year older than me, but this is like her second act. She's doing mm. a Netflix show. She's on Chicago, um, on Broadway. It's quite amazing, actually. And apparently she's launching a newsletter now as well, which I will definitely be signing up for. I think we both will. Um, have you seen that on Instagram, she now has 2.2 million followers, yet she's only posted 28 pictures. And uh, the only two people she follows are her sons. 2.2 million! What I would say about Pamela, and the thing I liked most about the documentary, she says it at the end, she says, I am not a victim. Mm. She's so positive and uplifting. She says, I put myself in some of those situations and some of those things I just have to deal with and get over. And the moment there was any risk around her sons, she removed them mm. completely. And it was just so lovely. She had such a sort of true sense of what family is and how she was going to be the best mother she could and be the best person. And those men... Don't get Millie militant. Oh, My alter ego gosh, started on yes. those awful. Jay Leno should apologise profusely now. They, those men were awful and they dismissed her as something meaningless and worthless. And it was so horrible to watch, even though she was kind of standing her own. I mean, it was the culture of the time was so wrong. But I really, really, I just loved her. I just yeah. finished that documentary and I loved her. Listen. Hopefully, uh, she's going to make some money out of what comes next because the ripping off of Pamela Anderson, the millions that went to everyone mm. else because of that tape, extraordinary. But while we're on the subject of me being right, <laughs> mm. I'm going to tell you something else that I have been right about all along. Go for it. I'm, I'm all ears. Well, as much as I don't want to give your funny furry friend Margot any more airtime, the cat, the pod cat, than is than necessary... Um, my theory is she's evil, as you know, and that I'm just waiting for the mothership to come back and get her. <laughs> but this theory of evil Margot was backed up by one of our lovely listeners, Kim, who sent <laughs> sent us a message on Instagram, which you and Pam have just joined. Um, she said, I've just walked my dog in Southern California and I'm on a catch up listening to Series 7, Episode 10. Then I was startled by a motorbike. In fact, it was the sound of Margot purring on the podcast. <laughs> Look at that. Margot sabotaging lives across the Atlantic. I will make sure that Margot doesn't get near the microphone today. Um, I think she's actually staring at a wall somewhere in the house. She just sits there and stares at a wall. But she comes in at the end of every episode, yes. doesn't she, for a good old purr at me. It's really odd. Exactly. It's her morning routine, isn't it? Staring at the wall, keeping her busy for a few hours. But listen, why don't you tell everybody what's in store on the podcast this week? Well, we've got a fascinating guest today called Petra Fisher, who is a movement and mobility exercise coach. Um, she's going to help us get fitter and stronger. And she's also going to tell us a life story that we're slightly envious of, aren't we? Mm -hmm. um, she was a corporate lawyer in Canada. She gave it all up to become a global nomad. And she'll be telling us about making that life-changing decision from Sri Lanka. And we will be discovering how to lead a second act like Petra. Mm. And she'll also be answering questions from members of our private Facebook group. Please come and join. And I might try and fit in one about my dodgy hip flex. What's happened now? With I've been in a lot of pain. Oh, it's been going on for months. Is samba dancing causing you trouble now? Hula hooping? It, well, exactly. Limboing, all of the above. Anyway, might get onto that with Petra, see what she thinks. 
Can I talk to her about my knees, Trish? I like to bring up my dodgy knees. <laughs> anyway, it'll all be there. And we're also going to be going a bit doolally about our brain fog moments. We've got a very useful show today. You might want to get a pen and paper, people, for this one. Well, we've got um, expert advice about the old brain fog because I've been speaking to Dr. Richard Restack, who is a clinical professor of neurology, all about how to boost our memory and brain power through menopause and beyond. And that's coming up in How to Win at Midlife after our interview with Petra. So this episode is what we would call a mind and body makeover, yes. which sounds like one of those cover lines, doesn't it, that we used to write <laughs> when we were on glossy magazines. Come on, let's get cracking. Today's guest is self-professed body nerd and recovering lawyer Petra Fisher, and she's going to help us feel fitter, stronger and healthier because Petra, 48, is a movement and mobility exercise coach. And as we know, movement and mobility is something which is crucial for women to invest in as they age. After starting out as a stiletto-wearing corporate lawyer and government advisor, Canadian Petra and her partner of 18 years, Chris, gave it all up to travel the world as barefoot nomads. The barefoot bit is important, as we'll find out. Indeed, we'll be speaking to Petra in Sri Lanka, where she is currently based before heading off to Bali, Indonesia and Nepal. For the past decade, she has been teaching people how to exercise as nature intended. And her online courses have proven transformational for women suffering from pelvic floor, feet, hip and core issues. We'll be asking Petra to help us define a new way of exercising which is kinder and more effective for our midlife bodies. And she'll be answering your questions about the right type of exercise for your body and exploring ways you can change your routine to see better results. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife, Petra. Hi, guys. Nice to meet you. Okay, before we start, make us jealous. Tell us what the weather is like. So I'm in Cornwall. Trish is in London. You're in Sri Lanka. What is the weather like and what have you done today? Uh, it's 32 degrees, so you might hate it. It's hot and sticky. So if you don't like heat, you wouldn't want to be here. And I'll tell you, you know what? I, I worked all day. It was really boring. I worked. I worked out. I went for a walk. So there's nothing to be jealous of. <laughs> I'm not sure about that. But uh, listen, I think we should go back to your days. We should start by going back to your days, because I think we all want to know about this. You were a lawyer and a government advisor in Toronto, right? So you had the big job, you had it all going on. What was the tipping point for you, Petra, in terms of making the decision to walk away from all of that? Oh, gosh, you know, it was so many things, Trish. I wasn't ever a very happy lawyer. It was a career I went into just because I thought I should do something that was official and respectable. So I was looking for an exit strategy the whole time. And part of the way I was managing the stress of the very long all-nighters, it was a very, very busy job. Uh, I was working out. So I was running and I was doing CrossFit and I was doing yoga and I was getting injured no matter what I did. So there was everything from shin splints to back pain to shoulder issues and neck pain. I had it all. So I started spending a lot of my spare time seeing massage therapists and chiropractors and you name it. And I just realized that human bodies were so much more interesting than legal stuff. So... <laughs> <laughs> I kind of fell in love with the idea of working with humans 
And it didn't take me very long to transition once I'd realized that. And I, I thought about doing something like manual therapy, but I started taking my very first rehab Pilates movement therapy. And I was like, you know, this makes so much sense. Like manual therapy is a, is an opportunity, but the changes come when you move. So I was like, I've got to teach movement. And after that, uh, the whole thing just transformed itself. It's been never looking back. Now, I have had a similar realizations to you about working out and fitness. And I used to wear heels all the time. I think it's important to keep the heel thing in there because it's not great for you as a woman. And Gen X women always wear heels. And I've realized that intense exercise just isn't serving me as I get um, older. And I've really been watching this movement and mobility trend, this sort of natural exercise growing on social media. I get loads of emails about it. And it seems to me that this is a particularly good way of getting fitter, this restorative exercise um, as a woman in midlife. But what does it mean and where do us former, you know, would-be triathletes, runners, all of that, where, how do we start this in midlife? You nailed me. I even did try training for a triathlon, which almost <laughs> killed me. So, yeah, it's like you want to be hardcore. And then at a certain point, you realize that maybe your body isn't ready for that. And I think there's this mismatch between what we're doing all day long, which for most of us is sitting down and wearing heels. And what we want to do, which is to be super hardcore and athletic and look great in our bikini. And so we've got to try to fit these, the square movement peg into a, a round sedentary hole. So at some point in our lives, it's very typical to start getting injured. And I got injured early, but certainly around midlife, that starts happening to many people because then you start losing collagen as well. Plus you've accumulated more years of adapting to conventional shoes and sitting in chairs. So it starts to come very obvious around midlife that our previous fitness goals aren't always a great fit. So I think there's a huge spectrum of stuff you can think about and that makes it confusing, but it also means you've got many opportunities. And you asked me on my Instagram, you know, where do you start? And I was like, oh my God, where do you start? Because there's so many opportunities. It's a really good thing to think both big picture and small picture. Big picture is what did your hunter gatherer ancestors do with their time? And they weren't all throwing big rocks around and lifting heavy things. They were walking a lot. They were carrying babies. They were squatting all the time. They were maybe digging for roots quite regularly. They were really strong, but it wasn't super high intensity most of the time. They were living and they were moving all day as they lived. So that for me would be the kind of gold standard of what humans are supposed to do all day, including women. And if you look at contemporary hunter-gatherer societies, you'll actually see that the grandparents are fitter and are more active than the parents' generation because the parents have to look after the kids and the grandparents are the ones who are out walking for 16 kilometers a day hunting wildebeests. So there's absolutely potential to be very fit in our older years. But as we all know, it's harder to catch up on being fit than it is just to stay fit in the first place. And so yeah. many of us are now in this state where we have some injuries. We've been sitting for a long time. We're like, okay, what do I even do? So it's a really good idea to back it up and start looking at the small pieces. And that's often where our injuries come as well. So that's the places where, you know, for example, if you've been wearing regular shoes for a long time, you probably have weak feet. So that might show up as a foot problem, but it could show up as a knee problem or a hip problem or a pelvic floor problem or a spine problem because your feet connect to everything. So for me, it's very obvious to start restoring feet. 
as part of a bigger picture play to get our bodies moving well. And as soon as you're talking feet, you're talking walking. And I definitely believe that, you know, a piece that most of us all could use is more walking. It's truly fundamental to our whole body health. But most of us are poor at walking because we've been stuck in shoes and chairs all our lives. So I teach a lot of walking technique, which sounds incredibly boring, but it's actually very interesting because walking is so complicated. You know, you learn it when you're six months old. So you can't mess with it too much without looking like a weirdo, but you can work on your capacities so that you become better at walking. So I, I really like kind of breaking it down, getting better fundamentals. And, it, you know, it might be that your spinal mobility is where your key piece is to work on or your shoulder, but you work on your capacities in all these areas and it ends up just kind of building over time until you're much more able to do these big aspirational goals like hiking the Camino or, you know, swinging on monkey bars. You know, you can get there, but you break it down and you build it up just like regular fitness, but with a little bit more of a natural movement goal. I'm going to call it corrective exercise and mobility focus along the way, because those are the pieces that let you get there without breaking. Yeah. What are CARS though, Petra? Because you mentioned to me, C-A-R-S, you use that term a lot. And this to me felt like the start for it. So just quickly explain what CARS are to people here. So CARS are specifically invented as a movement multivitamin. So the person who invented them specifically was like, you know what, when you were a hunter-gatherer, you would have moved around all day and all of your joints would have moved in large ranges of motion, but we don't do that. So what CARS are, it means controlled articular rotations, and it means it's a whole body joint practice where you take most of your major joints and you move them in a full controlled, smooth range of motion, your whole range of motion, a couple of times a day, every single day. And what that gives you is you feed your joints, you reduce your inflammation, you work out your sticky spots, you figure out which spots you need to do more work on, and you maintain what you have, which is a much bigger deal than it sounds like as you start to lose things, right? And so the cars are like the, they're the foundation of the mobility work that I teach because they also teach you about your body and and they're like an a movement alphabet because you start to learn how to isolate your pieces. And when you isolate each piece and make it work well, your system as a whole works better. So I teach the cars as a standalone because they work awesome as a standalone, but they're also a great foundation and a maintenance tool for anything else that you would want to do. So it's probably worth mentioning here, Petra, that you have brilliant videos on your Instagram. So I was watching a foot one this morning. So if anybody wants to kind of get an idea of this, they can see on your Instagram and then maybe look at taking some of your classes. But we need to talk about pelvic floors because we feel that that's a big, (laughs) big midlife situation. And as women, we kind of we put up with, don't we? The little leaks, the little, if we're running or, or what we're doing, if we're sneezing, if we're laughing, and we probably really shouldn't have to put up with that. What's going on? What can we do about it? Yeah, well, you've absolutely nailed it. And it's funny because when I was back trying to be a runner, I was peeing my pants every time I went for a run mm-hmm. and I thought nothing about it. I was just like, I guess that's what happens. It turns out that that's actually not normal and it's not very okay. And it's the first sign of a bigger issue. So I thought I'd back up and just really clarify, you know, your pelvic floor is a group of muscles that form the bottom of your container, quite literally. So they keep stuff inside you. And when I was prepping for this interview, I looked it up and according to the NHS, one in three women in the UK has what's called a pelvic organ prolapse. One in three? 
Oh my one God. in three. Now that was the NHS. I saw another stat that said it was one in 10, but you can guarantee that it's crazy high Common. and that's a prolapse. So you have a lot of other people who are on their way to a prolapse with pain or painful sex or incontinence. You know, it's very widespread. And I think of it as being widespread for two reasons. So, you know, one of my teachers calls the pelvic floor sort of ground zero for movement issues. And I think it's clear that we're not feeding our bodies a very good movement diet or not a very human focused movement diet. So we're getting it from both ends, quite literally. What's happening up in our upper bodies is we have very tight shoulders. We have restricted breathing patterns. We've been told to suck our stomachs in. And we often don't have very functional core strength. So what that means is as we lift things and carry things, and even as we breathe, we are pushing down constantly on our pelvic floors. It is also certainly possible that many of us are constipated because we don't have great diets either. That's a lot of load on your pelvic floor. So now you're pushing everything down all the time. Meanwhile, from the bottom up, your pelvic floor muscles have been held in a short, tight position your whole life. And it's not your fault. It's because when you wear shoes with heels, guess what happens to your pelvic floor? It is held in a short, tight position. And when you sit in a chair, the way we all sit, your pelvic floor is in a short, tight position. And then most of us have been kegeling away our whole lives. So guess what that is? That is shortening and tightening. No! <laughs> all those kegel exercises. All those kegels. All those kegels. So we need muscles that can lengthen and can produce force as they lengthen. Because when you sneeze, that's lengthening your pelvic floor. You need your muscles to be able to still work when they're longer. So you need to start thinking about hips and how you lengthen pelvic floor muscles is through hip mobility largely. It's through learning to squat well, it's through learning to rotate your hips because some of your hip rotators are pelvic floor muscles and it's through walking effectively. So walking in a flat shoe, walking with what's called a posterior push-off technique. Most of us kind of fall forward as we walk. We need to be able to push behind us almost like we're rowing a boat as we walk. And it takes some time to figure out that technique, which is another reason I won't shut up about walking because that's one of our best pelvic floor exercises. So pelvic floor issues are huge. They're very common. The fixes aren't crazy intimate necessarily. A pelvic floor physio can help you for sure. But what most women are going to be told is that they have a hypertonic pelvic floor, which is that two tightness. And so bigger picture movement work will help you address the tightness, reduce the loads and get stronger overall, rather than just hyper-focusing on kegeling. I never knew that. I never knew that all these years. No, I didn't know that. So does it take a long time to sort out your pelvic floor via more natural movement then? Is that something that, you know, Trish and I would have to start now and, and then in a year's time, any issues resolved or how does it work? Well, I mean, it's always a solid, it depends when it comes to your movement. I noticed a significant improvement in my own pelvic floor stuff within a year of starting to change how I moved. But I'm also a very enthusiastic adopter of things. So I changed everything. I changed my shoes. I learned how to squat properly. I practiced all the time. I just, I, I sucked it in. I went crazy. And most people aren't going to do that, but it's going to literally just depend on, on what you do. So I'm actually creating pelvic floor courses this year. And the first one's going to be upper body pelvic floor, and it's going to be core and spinal mobility and not pressurizing. And the second one's going to be hips and pelvic floor. It's going to be those foundations of healthy hip mobility. All my work is very pelvic floor friendly, but I, I'm excited to get those out because I think there's a place for them. Can I ask you about the shoes? Are we talking trainers? Are they ugly? What, what do we have to wear? I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised by them being less ugly than you uh, think they will be. 
there's actually been a powerful movement to make barefoot style footwear more attractive. So when you're thinking about better for your feet shoes, what you want to think about is shoes that let your feet function like your actual feet. So high heels are problematic, but your regular trainers are problematic too, because they don't let your feet actually do their thing. So we think about kind of about five things to look for in footwear. So one is no raised heel. The next is you want a flexible sole that, that moves when your foot moves. You don't want the toe to lift either. If you actually look at a lot of trainers, the toe springs up. It needs to be fully attached to your foot. So it's not making you claw and grip with your foot when you walk. There's one more thing that I totally drawing a blank on, but those are the main ones. So yeah. flat, fully attached, flexible. What you don't want to do is take your feet that have been wearing heels for your whole life and suddenly slam them into barefoot all of the time. You want to be smart. So you want to transition. And there's some great transition options out there that will, for example, give you a wide toe box and no heel, but lots of cushions so you can be more comfortable and transition slowly. And bodies are amazing. We get strong. We get habitual. We move in habitual ways. If your feet don't know how to move through their regular movements anymore because they've got a different habit, then it's going to be really helpful for you to retrain what's called your pronation and supination um, cycle so that you can then walk more effectively. And that's another thing that goes all the way up to your pelvic floor. So your feet and your pelvic floor are actually, they're very closely related. What about flip-flops? That's a no-no, isn't it? They're not fully attached. They're not, no flip-flops, but there are very good, easy to pull on options that have a heel strap and that look almost like flip-flops. I left mine at the door here, but you can find a, a decent option. Okay. Can I just ask one final pelvic floor? Because uh, we got asked this and we get asked it a lot. The um, products for pelvic floor, the LV, I think it's called, are various things. Does that make a difference? Is that something you could do in conjunction with learning how to move more naturally? So I would say opinions are a bit divided on that. So what you're getting with like a Kegel exerciser like that is some biofeedback on whether you're doing a Kegel well. And I think that there is some value to having some awareness and connection to being able to tighten and loosen your muscles down there in ways that are mindful. And biofeedback is always helpful for that. It's only a small picture. Like it's still a Kegel. It's a Kegel that's maybe a better Kegel or a Kegel where you spent $200 to get some extra feedback. Yeah. So I think my suggestion is spend that money on seeing a really good pelvic floor physiotherapist who can give you personalized feedback. They do internal exams. I've done it. It's super, they're super professional and amazing. Nice. Uh, it's just, it's a helpful experience to even go through. And then they'll be able to tell you if you need to work on anything in particular, because there's also value to learn to let go of tension. And I meant to mention earlier, you know, one of the stressors on our pelvic floor is stress. There was a crazy study done on women who watched horror movies and they measured their pelvic floor tension while they were watching the movie. And the more horrific the movie, the, the tighter the pelvic floor. So we respond to stress by getting, right? So we need to learn how to let go of tension in our pelvic floors much more than how to create it. So that kind of thing might be useful as part of that process, but the big picture is still, um, and I think a more important part, I would say. So we have asked um, the ladies on our private Facebook group uh, for, for their fitness and body worries. And we, we've got so many questions, but we obviously haven't got time for all of them. We hope the ones that we've picked will cover off a lot of the concerns that we're hearing. So Lorraine, what's the first one? Right. So we're going to call this Petra's postcards from midlife <laughs> movement clinic. <laughs> da, da, da. I feel like it should have an intro. So Annette makes a point that a lot of women made. How much exercise in midlife is too much and how much is too little? She writes, I've been active since age 26, 
running to hit. And now as I age, I'm 54, I can't do these high intensity workouts anymore. I like cardio, I like spinning step, and I walk approximately 14,000 steps a day in my job in retail. I'd be interested to know how to adapt or change my workout. Is my life too active and how can I do it better? I mean, that's something that came up again and again. You know, we always want to get out and do that. But I think this generation heads out and is very uh, goal orientated. We are measuring everything, steps, all of that kind of thing. But actually, maybe we don't need to, Petra. So, I mean, there's lots of ways to think about this because most of us have this you know, we, we work out too hard and then we don't rest enough for, for many of us. I, I always go right back to that hunter-gatherer image. And, you know, the hunter-gatherer women that have been measured, they walk about 8,000 to 10,000 steps a day. So many of us are already nailing that. So then you have to start asking, well, how are you walking? And so I think maybe you can spend some of your time instead of doing your high-intensity cardio, working on that walking technique so that then all of your walking becomes better. I think obviously we've talked about cars. So cars give you a mobility, a hit of mobility every day. But you know, your your hips don't need to move once a day, ideally. Your hips need to move 45 times a day, ideally. So what activities can you add to your day that give your hips that movement? So if you're somebody who's still working, you know, movement breaks can be ideal. And if you're somebody who um, has the benefit of not working, then hobbies like gardening that are very movement focused can be super useful. So you want to think variety and you want to think big picture variety and little picture variety. So Lorraine, I know you love surfing. So surfing is a great upper body workout with lots of that kind of pulling thing. So maybe a little bit of pushing variety. So whatever you are doing, you want to do something different. And when people talk about, you know, cycling and spinning, Those ones are the ones that I start to get a little concerned about because they're very much like sitting for our body. They put you into hip flexion. You don't get that hip extension. That's what we want to get from from walking, ideally. So that's what I think about. And then, of course, middle age, you want to think joints for sure because we lose our collagen. You want to think muscle mass because muscle mass is metabolically active. It's part of our immune system. So that could mean lifting some weights. It could also mean body weight work. There's a lot of ways to think about it, but you definitely want to be thinking about it. And then zone two cardio. So that's your cardio that's just a little hard to breathe through, but there's a ton of science saying that that's very brain enhancing. I think it's about two hours or 200 minutes of zone two cardio a week seems to be the the goal to search for. So I like to carry stuff. I'll carry a heavy backpack and I walk a fair bit. So that's the way I think about it. And I don't know if there's a perfect mix, because if you had a knee problem, Lorraine, it might be better for you to work on your knee problem and back off on the hard stuff for a while until you got that sorted out. So it's always a little bit of jiggling and jaggling. It's tricky, isn't it? Because I think we get addicted to the high from the spin class. That's, that's my problem. The, and that buzz that you get, I mean, my goodness, that is amazing, isn't it? The problem then is that we do get injured. Um, So this, um, especially runners, this one is from Tamsin. She says, after 30 years sitting at a desk, I retired last year and did a lot more walking, uh, only to be struck down with plantar fasciitis in both feet and a very inflamed tendon in one foot. So she's had to give everything up, her exercise, been in an air walker boot. And it's taking a long, long time to repair. And she's quite frustrated about this. She doesn't want it to happen again. And she wants to have the confidence to go back to the level of exercise she did before. Is she thinking the right things here? Yeah, I think she's absolutely thinking the right things. She can, I mean, I I don't see any reason why she won't be able to get there if she wants to take the time and do the work. 
Plantar fasciitis, um, if you're not familiar with it, is an inflammation of the connective tissue on the bottom of the feet. It can be very stubborn and it's very wide ranging. And it's another of those kind of broad issues that show you there's a movement problem somewhere in your body. And when it comes to plantar fasciitis, it's often because your foot muscles themselves are weak, or the backs of your legs are tight, or you walk a bit funny because maybe you've been sitting in a chair your whole life. So there again, you know, you can do a lot of foot restoration work and get it sorted out, but it can be, you may have to be a bit relentless because everyone's plantar fasciitis is going to reflect their own body. There's very, it's very confusing if you ever Google it. It tends to respond better to strengthening work than to resting work, but you need to rest it a bit because you've got all these tissues that are too upset. So I don't like orthotics for plantar fasciitis. And I don't like people being stuck in high heels for plantar fasciitis because that sometimes happens because it takes some of the load off that back line unless there's an exit strategy. So if anyone ever tries to give you orthotics, what I would suggest is to say, that's fine. I'll take a rest for six months, but I'll start working on my feet in the meantime. And I want an exit plan because when did anyone ever tell you to brace your shoulder for the rest of your life? Like that would be crazy, right? So you shouldn't do that with your feet either. And orthotics will weaken your feet over time. And there's a lot of evidence to show that if you'll put the time into it, strengthening your feet will deliver a lot more sort of long-term benefits. I'm going to bring up that uh, sexy subject, bunions. Came up a few times. I mean, I've got arthritis in my feet and it looks like bunions. It's infuriating. So Tara emailed um, and she said, I'm 52, fit, healthy, active postmeno, but my big toe joints are stiff and uncomfortable on both feet. I just don't have the flexibility. She dog walks, bar, Pilates, yoga. She does weights every day. But she says, what can I do about this? And are there toe stretching products that you recommend? Yes. So there's a continuum, just like always. And depending on where you are, you're going to have some different results. I would start with a wide toe box trainer and I would probably add a toe spreader. So there's a great toe spreading product called Correct Toes, which you can wear when you walk. So Correct Toes are awesome. They're a little expensive, but if you can afford them, they're a great product. Then it gets into exercise. So everything from, you know, just giving yourself a massage in between your toes, that can be helpful. Some stretching is helpful to start things moving around. You can pull on your toes to add some space in between the joints. But then where you want to get to, I'm going to go right back to mobility work because you need to strengthen. And one of the nice things about mobility work is there's a lot of isometric work in the work that I'm teaching, which is great for increasing your range of motion and decreasing pain. So I actually, I have a free giveaway for helping people restore their feet. And bunions are part of what I was addressing when I created it. And it has my favorite toe mobility increaser and toe pain decreaser for for that big toe where you're just kind of going to stretch your toe up and then you actually press down into a ball and you pull away from a ball and believe it or not that kind of active isometric directional work is incredibly effective at restoring mobility and even decreasing pain so you never know how far you're going to get but you want to be thinking a little passive work a little stretchy work and then definitely some strengthening work and you can get great changes what about operations on bunions? I heard two women actually in a, a yoga class yesterday talking about it. And I thought that sounds so extreme and so drastic. And one said the recovery time was, is that something you'd ever consider or you do this work first? I would always start with conservative work for feet. I've heard stories about some terrible, I mean, and this is not necessarily bunion surgery, but there, there can be some really, really poor surgical fixes that will leave you worse off than you were before. 
you may very well get some good results, but you're going to get better results if you do the work to restore what mobility you can before you go down a surgical route. And my understanding is indeed that it's quite painful and invasive. Mm -hmm. So I personally would do everything I could do to avoid it before you went that route. But if it's what you need to do, then I would never say don't do it. It's just there's other options first. Now, arthritis, obviously aging, wear and tear and from injuries injuries that show up later in life. So Laura emailed us uh, with this question. She says, I've always been very fit and healthy, used to run a lot, but then she started struggling with her knees, uh, was diagnosed with arthritis. She reduced running, joined a gym, then got lower back pain. So it's just been this sort of sequence of painful joint things. And she says the only time she sees it easing up is when she has an illness and she stops doing exercise, but she refuses to give up because obviously it makes it, uh, you know, exercise makes her feel better. And she's tried yoga, but she gets bored. Is it worth explaining what arthritis is first and foremost, and then what you can do about it? Well, I'm not 100% sure anyone actually knows to be 100%. There's different types for a start, but there's no scientific consensus on actually why it happens. So the whole wear and tear argument has been challenged recently because you get to see ultra runners and long distance runners who have no problem at all. They actually really seem to adapt to a lot of what you would call wear and tear. So I've always thought of it as a bit of a Goldilocks thing where your joints don't want too much and they they also want to get some, you know, so being too still can lead to arthritis the same way that moving too much might be able to. So it is a bit of a, a confusing situation. Um, I was taught that it has something to do with friction around your joints. So if you have very tight backs of your legs, for example, then your knee doesn't get enough movement in the joint. And so you want to create a little bit of extra movement. I don't actually know if that's being supported by the science. What I do know is that the best in class treatment is still movement. Even if it's somewhat painful to move, you still want to move, but you probably want to move carefully and in ways that are respectful your boundaries. And that's because the joints themselves don't have a circulatory system. And the way you pump fluid into your joints is by moving them. So you're still getting healthier joint movement or joint cells if you're moving them than if you're not. So there I go, go back to cars. So cars can be done very gently as a way just to maintain joint health. I would say, you know, it's really tough. If you love something that I want you to be doing it, but if it's making you hurt to the point where you're not going to be able to do it for longer, then it's often a good idea to back off, do less of it and explore some other options. So, you know, there are great mobility coaches everywhere who could be really helpful for what she's going through to give her some modified options that she might find more interesting because, you know, it sucks to have to say no to something, but it sucks worse to have to say no to everything. Well, yeah, mobility coaches is probably what we're looking for more, isn't it? Can I ask a question that Sharon, lots of other people asked it, over tight hips. How does one loosen a tight hip? I guess we might have to talk about glutes and stuff here and all of that kind of that. That middle bit, which yoga teaches you is where you hold all your emotions as well. (laughs) I know this, Trish, in my new spiritual life. (laughs) (laughs) But that tight hip situation, explain it to me, because it's so common for midlife women. As usual, I'm going to blame shoes and chairs because that's what I blame for everything. But we just haven't moved our hips very much. And what's really interesting, so I thought about this, and and, there's many ways your hips could be tight. They could be tight because you don't want to pull your knees into your chest. They could be tight because they don't want to go backwards into extension. They might be tight because they don't like to rotate. So there's lots of different possible experiences of tight hips. 
But the one thing that many people fail to think about when they think about tight hips is that most hips need to be stronger, not stretchier. And many, many people are going to find that their persistent, stubborn hip tightness stops feeling that way when they start strengthening their hips instead. And so, you know, I would say that would be what I would look into. And that could be as simple as I'm going to say it again, you know, doing cars is an active mobilizer of the hips. You're not just stretching them. You are using your muscles to get to your end ranges and really trying to connect in. That would be one option. But when you're talking your, your tight hips, I would want to stretch the front. So I would want to stretch the backs and then I would want to strengthen the fronts, And then I would want to strengthen the backs and I would want to do a bunch of rotation. And that could be a car, but it could be many follow on exercises. Um, and then I think you're going to find that you don't have tight hips and you do have more butt because those things go hand in hand. A controlled articulated rotation exercises throughout your day, good for the hips, strengthening and lengthening. I like it. I should just stress really quickly that they're a foundation. There's a lot more you could do, but they're a nice, easy starting point. You have been super duper helpful. Before you go, Tell me what it's like to surf in warm water, because I've been learning to surf for 427 years now, um, and I'm blaming the cold water. Are you having a lovely time in the Sri Lankan waters? The Sri Lankan water is wonderful, and my wish for you is you can make it here sometime and surf these waves, because you will love it. You will love it. Turtles will watch you surfing. What about that, Trish? That'll keep them happy, won't it? Brilliant. Thank you so much, Petra, for joining us today. It's been so helpful. You've given us so much to think about. Uh, We're all going to be on your website. We're all going to be on your Instagram. So thank you for joining us. Well, I'm so honoured that you asked me. I admire you both so much. So thank you very much indeed. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Right, here we are at How to Win at Midlife, the section of the show where we speak to someone really clever on a topic that we feel we could do with some help on in our midlife years. And this week, Trish, you have been speaking to an 81-year-old American professor, no less. I can't remember what you were talking to him about. What was it? (laughs) I see what you did there, Lorraine. Uh, Yes, I've been finding out about why we can't remember stuff. All those embarrassing brain fog bloopers, forgetting how many children we have, where we left the car or why there's a strange cat in the house. Yes, the memory failures are such a worry. Not uh, They're not just funny. They are funny, but they're not funny, really, because they add an extra layer of stress to the day when we're already quite overwhelmed and quite busy. And it can also make us think we're losing the plot and send alarm bells ringing about dementia and Alzheimer's, especially if we've got relatives who suffered uh, with that and been unfortunate enough to have severe memory loss. So, Trish, this is going to reassure me, isn't it? Because, you know, it's a real problem of mine. I know. You worry about it, don't you? Yes, I think it will be reassuring because Dr. Restack is Clinical Professor of Neurology at Georgetown University in Washington, D.C., and he advises NASA and the Pentagon 
And at 81, can you believe it? He has written, uh, I think it's about his 20th book, a great book called The Complete Guide to Memory, The Science of Strengthening Your Mind, which is all about helping you to understand how memory works, what's going on with our memory when we have these lapses, learning how we can exercise our memory and brains, as well as the warning signs to look out for if degenerative brain diseases like Alzheimer's is a worry. So that time I forgot which side of the road to drive on when I was in the car and I had to go back in and ask, he's going to tell me how that won't happen (laughs) again. I think so, yes, exactly. What has the memory man, Dr. Restak, to say about that then? Explain me, Trish, as, as I say, explain me. Okay, open your ears, get ready to listen. So the first thing he wants us all to know is that memory is very much like our physical attributes, such as strength, endurance, and agility, in that it requires practice, it requires exercise. He describes it as a muscle group that needs a daily workout or challenge. And I'll share a few of his suggestions in a little while. But before we get to that part, I just thought I'd give you a little sort of biology lesson. You know you like those, don't you? For simpletons, yes, simpletons. We have different types of memory. First of all, we've got transient, which is very short term. We have short term working memory, long term memory, sensory memory, procedural memory. That's the sort of bit about the car. It's like where you learn, you learn a skill and you kind of just do it without knowing it because your body automatically knows it. And you can get a bit of a fright when you drift off, you know, when you're driving along the motorway and you think, oh, you know, so anyway, that's your procedural memory doing what it does. Um, But forming memories is the important bit. It's how we encode the memories into our brain. So with memory, there's encoding, storage and retrieval. And as I say, encoding is the most critical. And the reason it's most critical and how you make it happen is you have to pay attention to something because the neurotransmitters in the synapses. (laughs) You said pay attention. I'm so distracted. Yes, you're distracted. You're not listening to me. I can tell. You can tell. <laughs> pay attention and you might learn this. So okay. if you pay attention, you make the synapses in your brain stronger. And then right. the information goes into the hippocampus, the part of the brain that is vital for transferring memories into long-term storage. However, there's a lot of stuff our brain just doesn't need to store or have the space to store. Um, you know, things like you might forget a name, a face, an appointment, or a, a memory just escapes you. And it's really embarrassing, isn't it? A bit frustrating. It is. I'll tell you what it does. And we've found this, haven't we, Trish, mm. with all our guests, is it really eats away at your confidence. Yeah. And it makes you feel like such a fool, you know, especially when you've been able to remember loads of things and do things. And then yeah. suddenly, as you get older, you you can't. I can't tell you how many friends of mine have gone to the doctor saying I've got early onset Alzheimer's because I can't remember basic things. Yeah, well, that if you can't remember basic things, that is absolutely not about degenerative yeah. brain problems, which I'll come on to. But the reason we're having all of this, and we'll come on to talk about menopause in a minute, is that it's the brain's way of protecting itself from overload because yeah. we are more bombarded, right, than ever. Yeah. Modern life, we're in our mobile phones Too all much. day long. There's a barrage of information and there's so much that you do not need to hang on to. So your brain is doing this really good job of tidying up, but you obviously think, oh my goodness, I should have remembered that. You can't remember everything. I do need to know when people are introduced to me. I need to remember their names. There are some bits <laughs> Of the overload that do need to stay in, aren't there? Yeah, that is that is a kind of common one, isn't it? I'm terrible with names. Quite often what's going on in that situation is that you're probably distracted by what else is going on. So your brain is thinking, okay, what social situation are we in? What's that person wearing? What am I going to say to them? What do I need to know? 
the name just seems like a little bit of a, a thing that you don't extra. need to know, an extra that you just don't need to know. But you fixate on that and you don't fixate, you know, you don't think about, well, I've managed to have this brilliant conversation with this person. So, you know, just ask them their name again. Nobody's going to be embarrassed if you say, oh, I'm so sorry what I didn't catch your name after you've had a, yeah. a good. So don't beat yourself up about that. And likewise, you know, if you come out of the supermarket and you forget where you've parked the car, that is perfectly normal. Once a week, that happens to me. Yeah, but it's perfectly normal. Same with forgetting what you came into a room for, where you put the car keys. Um, it's all to be expected. And again, these kinds of lapses are just because we're distracted because we're like right. heading into the supermarket, thinking about our shopping list, blah, blah, blah. So don't worry about those things. Hobnobs. Hobnobs. <laughs> is there a bog off? <laughs> yeah, exactly. A hobnobs bog off. So what you're saying, that this this sort of brain fog, which makes our memory go haywire, is something sort of to be expected because of the overwhelm a little mm-hmm. bit. And it does happen in menopause. Now, when we had Dr. Louise on the show, our menopause guru, she explained that a decline in estrogen and testosterone really does affect the brain significantly for yeah. women because estrogen, it stimulates cell growth in the brain. It provides that glucose brain fuel that keeps us thinking and testosterone helps the nerves of the brain stay strong. But what does Dr. Restek say about women in menopause and Yes. Well, he agrees that our memory does decline during menopause. But if we exercise it, um, and I'll come on to give you some examples, you can make it better. And he actually describes memory loss and brain fog as two slightly different things. So he says brain fog is a bit like fibromyalgia or chronic fatigue syndrome, because It's all about the memory becoming impaired because you've got other symptoms of these illnesses like fatigue, uh, really poor sleep, lack of energy, and it becomes this vicious circle. So memory loss. That's perimenopause, isn't it? Exactly, is a byproduct of that. And he says that as with most illnesses that involve a decrease in memory, once that illness improves, your memory will start to improve. So I've definitely found HRT that the lapses are so much better. And things like depression, for example, he was saying that, you, you know, it's low spirits and a decrease in memory power. But if you're treated successfully, your memory will return to normal. So that's really interesting. It is interesting, isn't it? So I've got my hormone replacement therapy, mm. which has been very helpful for my memory. But how am I going to train my brain, my tiny, tiny brain that's easily distracted by almost everything? Tiny little brain. <laughs> right. Well, you need to start. Oh, don't. T- I know what you're going to tell me. What's that? <laughs> you're going to say Sudoku or something like that, aren't you? Well, you can do those. Um, that's not his primary suggestion, but you can do those. So Crack on with your Wordle and Sudoku, if you like, because that's a daily challenge. He suggests as well learning. He learns two new words every day, and he's 81. That's a lot of words. He has a very big vocabulary. Very clever man. But the big idea in his book, which I found so interesting, and I'm going to try it out on you, Lorraine, is is what he calls creating your memory theatre. Oh, I like the sound of that. Is there an outfit I need to put on? (laughs) Because you just think you're going to be on stage, don't you, in the theatre? Yes, I just need some attention. I'll remember everything then, okay. yeah. Should we try a little exercise, see how it goes? Okay. Right. I want you to pick five nouns. Could be anything. Penguin. Yeah. Phone. Yeah. Hairbrush. Yeah. Penguin phone, hairbrush. Microphone. Yeah. Sock. Okay. And then you need to pick five places that are very, very familiar to you that you see every single day of the week or five objects maybe in the room that you're in now a desk laptop bag 
Oh, hang on. Mirror, uh, window. And now what you need to do is visualise, put the noun with the object and create a really sort of... I see. ...big, striking image. Can you remember your thoughts? Penguin in a window? Yes. A microphone on a laptop? But make it crazy. Make it like a huge microphone. Well, this will take me ages because I like to create these elaborate things. (laughs) Anyway, let's imagine I've done these things. Imagine you've done these things. Okay. Yes. So basically the point of this, so this is an exercise. You don't literally have to, you know, remember your shopping list in the way, but it's an exercise you can do to train your brain. The thing is, we are much better at remembering images than words and as detailed and as odd as possible. So you could have had a six foot tall penguin sitting on your desk or talking to a microphone, something like that. And he does this every single day. He goes past objects and he would match a shopping list to the object. So if he knows he needs milk, he'll go outside, look at his house and think, right, my house is a massive pint of milk. And uh, the library isn't full of books. It's full of loaves of bread. Now, obviously, that's not the quickest way to do your shopping list. But what it is doing is training your brain and creating visual memories and joining up synapses and all of this kind of thing. I've had a go of it and it is, it's quite interesting. I don't think I've explained it particularly well, but we can find it. No, so say I'm going down to spa, which I might do because I'm recording yes. this in Cornwall. I'm going down spa. Only I can do Cornish accents, not you, because I'm Cornish. So I'm going down spa and I'll get to spa and I'll think, why, why am I here? What's yeah. the point of that? So what I should be thinking is about a large packet of hobnobs mm on top of something familiar. So you're chasing me down to spa and then I'll get to spa and I'll think, oh my God, I got away from the hobnobs. Ah, that's why I'm in spa. Yes, exactly. That kind of thing. Exactly. Right. Any other quick tips? Come on. Yes. So some other quick tips are, well, this is an interesting one. Your brain tends to remember things better when you're interrupted. So if you're kind of reviewing material for an exam or a presentation, if you take a break in the middle of it and then come back to it, that relaxing will give you a stronger memory of it than plodding on without a break. So don't just plough through, give yourself a break. Oh, so that's how they chunk out revision, isn't it? They always say, you know, 15 minutes break, 15 minutes break. Ah, Exactly, because it helps it kind of, you know, encode within the brain. This is quite an an interesting one, and it could tie in with your eight-minute phone calls with your friends. We talked about that a couple of episodes ago. He says to record a phone conversation, then afterwards write down everything that you remember from it, And then listen back to the phone call and see what you missed. So that is quite useful. And then give yourself visual cues. So if your friend went to see Cabaret, imagine her on the stage singing. So you're just constantly doing these little things where you're remembering and you're training your brain to remember things and pay attention. Saying things out loud. So Oh, I do this. Yeah. Do you do that? So when you switch off the eye and say, I say, all the plugs are turned off. The windows are all shut. The children make fun of me so much for this. It's my little leaving speech every day. But it's really good because then you're, you don't then have a panic, right? That you've left the house and you have to go home because you've, you know, left the iron on or whatever. It's also what you say if you don't want to have night terrors. Oh, is it? You say, please don't visit me in the night. Oh, okay. I'm not going to have anything to do with you. Because night terrors are a neurological mm-hmm. pro- problem. They're, they're like a click in the brain. So, yeah, it's the same thing. So saying things out loud is good, yeah. It lands in your subconscious, doesn't it? And in kind of beds. So, and then he says reading fiction 
books with plots, characters, all of that kind of thing is brilliant. That's my word, Alhan Sudoku. Exactly. Uh, So reading interesting fiction, following recipes, actually very good for your brain. So that's good for the old cooking. And then you're going to like this one, napping. Again, if you are in the middle of doing something, exams, great for the kids to have a little nap in the middle of their revision, 20 minutes, because again, it helps your brain encode what you've learned. That's all very brilliant and very Mm. helpful. We like Dr. Restack. I'm going to promise that I won't forget your birthday next year. (laughs) (laughs) What point should I be worried about my memory then? When do I take myself to the doctor and say, this is probably a bit more than brain fog? Okay, so if we use the supermarket analogy again of forgetting where you parked your car, and that might be something we worry about. Forgetting where you parked your car is fine. Forgetting how you got to the supermarket right. is a red flag. So unless you find things like that are happening, you really don't need to worry about that. What you do need to do is start working on exercising your memory muscle. And he says that actually what he notices with many of his patients in the early stages of dementia is that they stop reading fiction because they just can't follow it because their working mm. memory is faltering. So if you spot that with a relative or they just can't remember those kind. I mean, my dad forgets all sorts of things, but he doesn't forget those kind of things, you know, which is reassuring. And the things we can do, I think we know this list, exercise, we need to carry on exercising as much as we can, healthy eating. And then this one, what do you think about this? We have to stop drinking alcohol (laughs) after the age of 70. Oh, Trish, I was going to up my intake after 70. I was going to go for hard drugs and everything after 70. I was going to just try the lot. Oh, yes. I mean, there is that school of thought, isn't there? But Dr. Restack says there is absolutely, uh, he sees uh, a correlation between people drinking over 70. So it gives us a few years, gives us a decade and a half, doesn't it, to get that rosé in and gin and tonic. Get the rosé in, yeah, to remember to drink as much as we possibly can before we get to 70. That was really helpful. Thank you very much for investigating that, Agent Halpin. And we do have a copy of Dr. Estac's book, Good. The Complete Guide to Memory, to give away on the Facebook group. Excellent. I hope you remember to put that up. Young Trish, I hear talk of a nostalgia noodle that came from one of your recipe shenanigans in the kitchen. Another kitchen story. Another one of Trish's kitchen stories. The podcast <laughs> on its own. God. <laughs> I know, we've got dead dead mice behind the uh, dishwasher. Now, this one... Oh, I can't bear the excitement. It's too much for me. Carry on. Oh, wow. This one was uh, involved me taking a packet of spaghetti, dried spaghetti out of the cupboard and uh, dropping it all over the floor. You know, about a thousand sticks of spaghetti. Oh, that's annoying. How did that take you back in time? Well, that took me back to the days of... Do you remember that game called Pickup Sticks? <laughs> Yes, which we can't play now because our hands shake too much and we're so distracted. It was basically like pouring a box of spaghetti onto the floor uh, of different coloured sticks. And then you had to try and pick up the sticks without nudging any of the other sticks. I mean, really? You can do it now with... um... I think it's a Chinese game and you score different points for certain ones we play. Certain colours, yes. Oh, right. So it's still, it's still, my kid's never interested in that one. Bit too basic for them, I think. Mine like it. They like it because they can fling the things up in the air and it causes quite a debate oh, about okay. did it move or didn't it move. Oh, right. Okay. So that's quite fun. What about you? Any old fashioned games that you like? Well, Trish, as you know, I am a fan of slapstick. Mm-hmm. 
any kind of comedy in that vein. Um, we have a, a retro game we got from a charity shop in Weybridge, which is our local Cornish town, called Pie Face. Oh, okay, okay. This is the kind of game that Neil and I would play for for hours and never bore of. And you, the rest of the adults might yes. get bored of it quite quickly. You put whipped cream. Oh gosh, no, <laughs> don't like this already. On a face, yeah. you put your face through a cutout thing, oh. and you just turn the handle. Everyone takes a turn of the handle. Oh. And then someone is unlucky enough for the handle to whack the cream into their face. I swear to God, play it with old people, catches them by surprise every single time. You will cry with laughter. Oh, no. You see, I'd be thinking whipped cream, sticky, not good for my skin. Couldn't cope with that. Also, no one cleans the game properly afterwards, apart me no i'm sure they don't i tell you what i have just discovered is dominoes <laughs> dominoes what the I hell dominoes. it's so much fun this is an older person's game trish this is an older person's game but we had all the teenagers playing it it was really good fun what's the point of dominoes remind me you well you to... sort of have to match up numbers don't you on the end of these oh, uh, little rectangles it's so much fun so um maybe i'm thinking bridge might be our next <laughs> adventure as we carry on aging. Trish, how many memory exercises will I have to do oh, to no. learn oh, my God. Exactly. the rules to bridge? Look, you're going pale thinking that you're literally... the one that's going to have to explain this to me, oh, aren't God. you? <laughs> it's making you tense, look. So that brings us to the end of this week's episode of Postcards from Midlife. Uh, we're back next week with Sophie Ellis-Baxter as our special guest. I'm going to say murder on the dance floor and you're going to sing now, Trish. Go on. <laughs> no. There's murder on the dance floor. That's it. See, I knew it. Yeah. So Sophie yeah. is also a nostalgia noodle, isn't she? Because we're bound to talk about Janet oh, Huntley from Blue Peter. Yes, so that's Blue very Peter. exciting. So tell all your friends about Postcards from Midlife. If you're a fan of Sophie's or their fans, get them to subscribe. If you subscribe on ACAST or wherever you get your podcasts, it is downloaded automatically into your inbox and if you want to see us live we will be mm. where will we be trish we will be at the business design center in islington in london on the 19th and 20th of may and you can find out all about that at postcards from midlifelive.co.uk thank you for listening goodbye Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.